0: Well, this morning I bring you greetings from our Wilmington campus. Uh, I wanted you, I wanted to just spend a, a few moments uh, at the start, just give you kind of an update of where we are as as a campus, but also how you can pray for us and uh, just kind of what God's God's been up to. Uh, a few weeks ago we celebrated our third anniversary, so we've been up and going strong for for three years. And uh, God's been faithful throughout that, that time. We were just remarking, trying to think through the the challenges or some of the, the hurdles that we've we've come through, the ways that we've seen God move in the past three years. And and one of the things we talked about uh, with our leadership was uh, the uh, the change of our identity over these three years. So we, we began as the coffee shop church, because as you know, we met in Loma Coffee. And uh, then we were like the church of Loma, and we were the... Uh, We didn't know what we were. We were Sycamore Hill Church, but we didn't know how that was. We were the Sycamore Hill Church at Loma or the Sycamore Hill Church wherever. And in the process of trying to figure out our identity, we also moved locations. So we moved from Loma Coffee, and now we meet at the Delaware Center for the Contemporary Arts. And so in that process, we're trying to figure out who we are. So I think we've, we've come to the place of knowing that we are Sycamore Hill Church, the Wilmington campus. So if uh, that's a big thing that we finally realize who we are. So when we go to greet people or meet people, we're like, hey, would you like to come to my church? And they're like, what church do you go to? We're like, we can smile on our face and say, hey, Sycamore Hill Church, the Wilmington campus. And so that's exciting. So that may not be a big deal for you, uh, but for us, that was, that was a real big thing. Now we have a name and we have a place and, and we're uh, um, busy doing ministry. So... Um, that's uh, an identity question, one of the other things we we kind of rustled through in these past few years is is who is it that we're trying to reach, uh, who or how, who is it that God would want us to reach? We're in a location, so should we try to reach the people right outside the location? So we tried to did some efforts in, in reaching the people of Loma and uh, partnering with the coffee shop in that, and we saw some some fruit in that. Uh, but then when we moved down to the riverfront, we um, Because we outgrew the coffee shop, we began asking those same questions and began doing things of trying to connect with the people of the riverfront. And this is probably one of the biggest prayer concerns that we have right now. So if you're a praying person and you um, are interested in the ministry, what's taking place down there, this is our prayer concern. Uh, for the past year, we have given concerted effort to reaching the people of the riverfront. We have um, had a, a few outreaches. Uh, we've had prayer walks. We've done community exploration activities. Uh, we, have, we have given a lot of effort uh, before the Lord and, and for his kingdom at, on the riverfront. And to this day, we have seen very little fruit. And so if you could pray for us in that area, that in the location where our campus meets now, it's a very dark place in the city. And uh, there are people there that need to know the Lord. And we're praying the Lord will allow us to reach them. So would you pray for us in that? Um, so that's, that's kind of where we're kind of struggling. But where we're growing, and this is a good thing, you can also be in prayer about this, is we have not only targeted uh, the, the riverfront as an area of our focus, we've also targeted several communities in the greater Wilmington area. And uh, we have um, movements that are beginning in those different areas. So we have a movement in Newcastle. Uh, we've targeted uh, areas of Newport as a, a place of, of further ministry. We've looked at, so Newcastle, Newport, uh, North Wilmington, and Newark. So they're all ends, right? So if it's a targeted area, it begins with an end. So if you live in an end area, knowing that we're coming to you soon, especially if you live in New Jersey. So that's the next... <laughs> The next area. We, we focused in, and for whatever reason, they all begin with the letter N. But we, we focused in on these, these areas that we strategically want to provide uh, intentional focus prayer focus and uh, exploring focus so that we can begin to invade darknesses in those areas. And so continue to pray for us in that. We've seen a lot of fruit. One of the, the ways that we've connected is we had a, a couple that has, is a member of our church, uh, our church, Sycamore Hill Church, that attends our campus. Uh, they began uh, about a year or so ago, they were really burdened about their neighborhood. As they would drive into their neighborhood, especially after coming from the city of Wilmington to their neighborhood, as they drove into their neighborhood, they were overcome by the brokenness and the darkness in their own neighborhood. And so they began praying, God use us in this area. God use us in this new place where there aren't any churches. There's not a lot of um, Christian things going on. And uh, we feel broken about this. And so we began praying with them uh, over a year ago. And they began looking for ways that they could connect with their neighbors. And so they decided they were going to have a block party. And they invited all the neighbors over. And they thought, well, there's no one ever, no one's going to come. No one's going to come over to our house. And sure enough, people came. And they had opportunities to engage their neighbors on a very surface level. But it was a real level as a way of just saying, hey, this is who we are. Let's get to know each other. Let's just not like drive home and go into the, the driveway or into the garage and then go inside the house. But let's let's see each other. Let's be known to each other. And so they began doing that, and they continued to pray. And they were once a part of our life group that met in our home. And through the process, they continued to feel just, God, we want to we want to reach our neighbors. We want to reach our neighbors. And so uh, last year, about this time, we began helping them position to, uh, to begin a, a group in their home, in their neighborhood. And so uh, this past fall, they kicked off a life group in their home and they have several that are coming from our, our campus, but four or five of their neighbors have just connected and their neighbors that, that a year ago had no connection with the church at all. Uh, many of them have never been connected with the church. Uh, some of them are de-churched, but they're having an opportunity for them to meet in their home now and study the Bible on a weekly basis. And so I'm excited about that. I'm excited that God is, God is moving. And uh, we're just trying to follow what God's doing in that. Another uh, ways that we've, we've grown, which was different for us, which I didn't expect, is uh, we had a, another young man who uh, is passionate about the Sunday breakfast mission. Uh, He sees the opportunities to engage there. And so he's uh, volunteering to go and on a weekly basis lead a Bible study at the Sunday Breakfast Mission. And through his connections there, he's inviting people to church. And on a weekly basis, we have anywhere from 12 to 20 guys from the Sunday Breakfast Mission that are attending our campus. And what's even better than that is they've come through the ministry of the Sunday Breakfast Mission, where they've been released of addiction or other things like that, But then they come and some of them, we have a couple of them that have actually come all the way through membership and are now members of our church and active members of our church that are leading in different ministries. And so God's doing great things and uh, we praise him for that. So I wanted to share with you some of those things and also share with you uh, something a little bit about Loma Coffee. So you're kind of aware of that. Loma Coffee just celebrated its fifth anniversary this past week. Can you believe it's been five years already? That's crazy. So five years, Loma Coffee has been going strong. And since our campus has left Loma Coffee, there's been a little bit of a, uh, a vision gap in what what, is, what does that look like and how does the church connect to Loma Coffee? And I want to just let you know, we're still trying to figure that out. We're uh, asking good questions. And I, I really feel like God is still allowing, Loma Coffee is still an opportunity for us to, um, to continue to make more kingdom advances through it. We haven't figured it out yet, but I'll tell you what is happening there. God is doing great things in Loma Coffee. Ben and and the team there at Loma Coffee are doing a great job of ministering to the employees. And so several employees have come to know Christ over the past five years. And also people that had just come in for a cup of coffee have the opportunity to hear the gospel or just have an opportunity to come into a safe place where they can connect and um, be a part of of a community of some sort. So God's doing good things. So continue to pray for for Loma coffee. But having said that, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in um, to Mark chapter 7 this morning. Father, we thank you so much for loving us. I thank you for your word. And Father, I thank you that this morning your word is alive, that it's not just something that was written down um, thousands of years ago, but that the word that we will read this morning has everything to do with our lives right now. And Father, I know that we've come into this place from various types of weeks. Some of us are here this morning and we just need a break. And so I pray this morning uh, that your word would be a word of encouragement for us. Some of us, Father, have been in a place where we have, have just forgotten you and we've gone through the motions of life. And I pray that this morning that your word would be a word of correction to us. But I also pray, God, this morning, would you, your word would be a word of challenge to us. Draw us close to us now. Help us to see your love. Help us to see your grace. Help us to rest in your mercy, and help us to just be drawn closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, I want to, as we come to Mark chapter 7, I want us to take a look at one of the harsh realities of the world we find ourselves in. We live in a world that we know is full of brokenness, we know that because sin has entered into the world, since that moment that sin entered the world, it started this domino effect of brokenness. And if you live any amount of time in this world, you know that things are not right, that things are not perfect, that life hurts. And we know that we've, as we've encountered brokenness and we see others encounter brokenness, we can see a myriad of ways of how different people try to cope with Brokenness. Some people try to to run and deny that brokenness is really there. They try to just forget about it. Some some feel like they can overcome brokenness with positive thoughts. If I think just good things, then all the pain of my life will just disappear. Some turn to addiction so that they can um, kind of escape brokenness. Some feel that uh, religion can cure brokenness. But this morning, I want us to see from God's word that the only way Brokenness can be healed is through Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can, break, that can cure brokenness. We can look any other place and we can find band-aids for brokenness, but real brokenness can only be fixed with Jesus. And I want us to see two things of how we should respond to brokenness, whether we, as we're going through times of brokenness that are, are major or we go through times of brokenness that are minuscule. What we're going to see today from the word of God is that when brokenness is in our face, we respond by pursuing Jesus and placing our faith in in his hands. So those are the two things we're going to see. When we're faced with brokenness, we pursue Jesus and we place all of our faith in his hands. Look with me in Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. And from there. And from there, these are transitional words that Mark, the author, uses to help us understand that this is a continuing story, that there's a movement of Jesus as Jesus is going about ministry. And so in order to understand what's going on, we must understand, and from there, so Jesus has come from some place, and he's getting ready to do or to go some other place. And so I want us to remember that this series that we're focusing in on is... A time for us to focus in on the remarkable nature of the person of Jesus. That's what we've been doing over the past few weeks. We've been taking a look at the nature of Jesus and the work of Jesus and we've been seeing and we've come to the place of understanding that he is remarkable, that there has never ever been anyone like Jesus, nor will there ever, ever be anyone like Jesus. For Jesus was and is God, completely God and completely man at the same time, who God sent to this earth to cure the world of brokenness and to cure the world of sin. That's who Jesus is. And that's what he's done. And as we've walked through uh, this book of Mark so far, what we've seen is that as Jesus has been carrying out his mission, he's been displaying authority over all areas of life. We see that Jesus has displayed his authority over darkness. We see that Jesus has displayed his authority over disease. Jesus has displayed his authority over death. Jesus has displayed his authority over religion. Jesus is showing his complete and absolute authority that everything in this world is actually under him. And so he is setting himself up that he's saying that I am not only from God, but I am God and I am the way that you can be reconciled back to God. That's what Jesus is in the process of doing. And we see that as Jesus has gone through his ministry, he's gone through different seasons of receptivity. There have been times in which he's come into a town and begun working miracles and proclaiming the kingdom of God. And people have been very receptive and they've just flocked to Jesus. But then there's also been times like the time he went back home and his own family and his own friends rejected him. They said, there's no way that you are this Messiah, this one from God. And most recently we see that he has just been confronted from the religious leaders. And they have rejected him. They said that you are not of God. And so, and from there is all of that. So he's come from all of this place and now he's getting ready to move on. And most recently in his last encounter with the religious leaders, we see that what was taking place in that encounter is the religious leaders of Jesus's day understood the brokenness that was between them and God. They understood that their sin separated them from God and they thought that the way that they could go over that gulf or or to, to go over that chasm or to fix the brokenness was through developing of religious practices. If I do this, if I say this, if I walk this way, if I wash this way, if I do this and I do that, then I will be right before God. And Jesus comes on the scene and he says, no, that's not it. The problem has not been what you're doing. The problem has been with your heart, for your heart is wicked. Your heart desires not to submit to my authority. So Jesus has just come from that. And he comes from there. And it says that he arose from that place, verse 24, and he arose from there and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So what Jesus is doing is something pretty amazing. And we, I hope we can capture this this morning. Jesus has spent a lot of time in, in the Jewish area, the land of the favored people, those that were loved of God. And Jesus is now moving on to the Gentile area or the area that was defined by God's people as the defiled or the dirty people. And so Jesus who himself says, it's not on what's outside that makes you defiled from God. It's what is on the inside that makes you defiled before God. And so you can almost imagine as Jesus is entering into this new region, this Gentile region, the religious leaders looking back and just gasping, thinking to themselves, there's absolutely no way that if Jesus goes into this area where they're dirty and they're defiled and they're nasty, there's no way that he can come out of there unchanged. But they did not realize what Jesus is doing is something bigger than that. Jesus is going to the dirty and dark places where he's going to intentionally invade darkness, intentionally invade brokenness, and he's going to bring about healing. Why? Because he is the Messiah. He is the remarkable one. So he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And then what does he do? He enters the house. This is pretty Amazing. So Jesus enters a house. Do you remember a few weeks ago when Jesus sends out the disciples? What does he tell them to do as they go into new areas? He said, when you enter into a new city or enter into a new town, go into the home of someone that's open to you. So if you find someone that's receptive, if you find someone that is willing to invite you in, go and spend time with them. So Jesus is continuing to follow in the pattern that he sent for his disciples. So he goes and he finds a home inside of this Gentile land. They welcome him and he spends time there. And then something peculiar happens. So he enters the home, and then the Bible says, and he did not want anyone else to know. He didn't want anyone to know he was there. Now, it's not as though Jesus here is trying to withhold himself as an act of unkindness. He's not trying to say, I, I, I don't want the world to know that I'm here, nor is he trying to say that uh, in, in a way of, of being overtired or exhaustion from the ministry that he's been completing that he's just trying to find a way to hide out no we'll find out later in verse 27 why he doesn't want to be hidden or why he doesn't want to be fully revealed yet and because it's just not time yet and we'll we'll get there but jesus is not hiding away but jesus has come into a place because the jews have rejected him he's going down to a place where people might be receptive and then the bible says yet he could not be hidden so he goes into the place but he cannot be hidden What's amazing about this is the reality is when light enters darkness, it can't be hidden. There's no way to hide light in dark places. And Jesus, who himself says at different times, he says, I am the light of the world. And so he cannot be hidden, That, especially as he goes into a place that was supposedly the most dirty, the darkest place in the world. It's impossible for his light to be hidden. We can... Think about that for a moment and be reminded that we who are followers of this Jesus, who believe in Jesus, we bear his name. We also bear his light. And as we go, we go to dark places. You may, your your world may be full of dark places. Your workplace may be dark. Your home may be dark. The grocery store that you go to may be a dark place. And let's be a reminder to us that we cannot allow our lights to be hidden. We, can't, we shouldn't spend time trying to snuff it out or hide it, but just let it shine. And as we do, immediately, it's almost as soon as you allow your light to shine, it won't be long until you see utter brokenness. And this is what happens with Jesus in verses 25 through 26. He goes to this place, yet his light could not be hidden. or He could not be hidden. And immediately he encounters brokenness. Look at the brokenness he encounters in verse 25. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Cypher Phoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast out the demon of her daughter. This woman hears of Jesus and now she pursues. And I I think this is one of the things I, I think we need to learn about this is that when the brokenness of life hits a square in the face, our first response should be to pursue Jesus. This woman completely exemplifies this. She understands the brokenness. She has been living in a complete nightmare of watching her precious daughter be tormented by demons. I can't even fathom that, but I know how my heart responds when I see one of my little kids fall down and scrape their knee. Like my immediate response is to run to them, to pick them up and to kiss their boo-boos. As though there's something magical inside of the saliva that comes from my lips that can somehow heal their abrasion on their knee. Now think about how gross that is for a moment, but somehow we do that. Anyways, we want to kiss the boo-boo as though it fixes it. But, but the reality of that is, as a parent, when you see your, your child being tormented, or you we see your children going through difficult times, we want to get in there and we want to fix it. It's one of the ways we respond when we see brokenness, is we want to muster up all of our strength and try to fix the brokenness all by ourselves. And this lady has been challenged by this because she has come to her wit's end because nothing she could do could fix the demons in her daughter. She couldn't kiss her daughter enough. She couldn't hug her daughter enough. She couldn't yell at her daughter enough. She couldn't even beat the demons out of her daughter. There's nothing she could do. And so she's at her wits end. And she finally hears of this man, Jesus, who is sent from God, who has gone throughout the region, healing people's brokenness. And what does she do? She runs to him, And she pursues him in the midst of her brokenness. And she comes in with this plea. Jesus heal my daughter nothing else can everything else i've tried is inadequate in healing my daughter but would you heal her now sometimes we can read this and we can also we can miss the numerous barriers that this lady had this woman had to overcome in order for her to come to Jesus you see the world we live in always there's always world cultures and barriers that we place on people And this woman's life was full of a bunch of barriers that would have said, you can't come to Jesus. There's no way you can come to Jesus because of this, this, and this. And we can see Mark laying out some of them. First of all, he says that you're a woman. Women were not allowed to approach men in that time. As uh, the huge barrier in her life, women were treated as just above dirt. And so for her to approach a man, let alone a, a man, a religious man, a religious teacher, was unheard of. So that was a barrier. We also see that she was a Gentile. That's what it says. That's what Mark says. She was, she was a Gentile, which meant that she was dirty. She was defiled. And culturally, she was not allowed to be close to Jesus. We also see that she was a Cypher Phoenician. Now, that may not mean a whole lot, but her, that what that means is that politically, her people in the past were not, uh, did not have a history of heeding, treating the Jews well. So that was another barrier between her and Jesus. And so we see that all of these things that really aren't barriers, but they were cultural barriers that were placed on her, which said, you can't come to Jesus. We see that her desire to be healed for her daughter was so great, she was willing to risk everything to overcome these barriers. And what does she do? She comes just as she is, lays her plea before Jesus and begs her to heal his daughter. And then Jesus responds. Let's look, look at this at verse twenty-seven. And he said to her, "Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs." Now, if we cursory read this, we 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 may gloss over it, and we may think as though Jesus is trying to respond in a derogatory way, because it, it may sound that way. Is is Jesus really saying to this young lady, uh, "You're a dog"? Like you're a dog and your daughter's a dog and and you guys have no part of this. You're not of me. And so is Jesus really doing that? I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I don't think Jesus is, is referring to this woman or her daughter as a dog in the same way we would use the word today. But I think Jesus is using parabolic language to communicate his mission. You see, Jesus has been on a mission, and this has been Jesus' mission. He's telling the lady that my mission, I've come so that I can heal the brokenness of my own people first. So my first response is to come to my own people and to share with them uh, the, the promises and the way in which a relationship with the God of the universe can be restored. That's my primary purpose. It's kind of like, you know, when you're flying on a plane and you, you sit down, you get your belt buckle on and the, sewerage, the flight attendant comes on the, on the a loudspeaker and they say, uh, in, case of, in case of loss of cabin pressure, things will come down from the thing and you've got to put it on yourself first before you help other people. Why do they have you do that? have you do that because you if you don't help yourself first you're not going to be able to help others so you you've got a primary responsibility to help here first and then there and that's exactly what jesus is saying i've come to help here but god's plan is going to be for there and what he's referring to is jesus has not come just for the jews Yes, the promises of a restored relationship will be for the Jews, but it's also for the Gentiles, which means that it's also for all people of all times. That means you and I have a hope of this promise. That there's nothing that will stand in the way of us. Because we are born and we have life, we have an opportunity to be saved. That's what Jesus said. Is going to say. But he's saying, right now, my primary purpose is this. The rest of the New Testament, which you'll see, the rest of the New Testament is going to be an unfolding as the Jews reject Jesus. The opportunity for the message to go to the Gentiles will be extended. So that's what Jesus is saying here. And some would take Jesus' response to just say, wait a minute, so what you're saying then is there's no hope for me? Or better yet, there's no hope for my daughter? Most of us would would respond to Jesus' response and say, is that what you're saying, Jesus? Jesus, are you saying that you don't have enough for me? But that's not what Jesus is saying. And this woman doesn't feel that way. Look at how she responds. And I want us to pick up on this in verse 28. But she answered him, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demons have left your daughter. And she went home and found the child laying in bed, and the demon was gone. This is her response. I want to unpack that just for a moment. See, this, her response shows her persevering faith in Jesus and her belief in the goodness of God. She responds by saying, yes, though, it, it may not be time for me to have a seat at the table. But even a crumb that may fall is enough. Even something that may fall out of a child's hand to the ground, a dog may be be able to scrape up, and that's enough. Even the smallest, tiny morsel of the goodness of God is enough. Isn't that a statement of faith? And Jesus responds in the only way that he can, in the way that he always does. We read it in verse 29 and 30. He responds by overcoming all of these barriers and he fixes brokenness. I mean, it's amazing. He even overcomes the barrier of distance. Do you you see that in there? He's here with the woman and the daughter is somewhere way over there. We have no idea how far they were, but there was a distance between he and this woman and the daughter, and distance is not too great for him to overcome because what does he say he looks to her and says your daughter is healed he doesn't even have to be there to heal that's remarkable and so we see from this woman that you begin when brokenness hits us we begin by pursuing Jesus a second thing that we're going to see is that once while we pursue and we also place all of our faith in his hands. Look with me in verses 31 and following. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his his hands on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, he That is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. What a beautiful example of placing all your faith in the hands of Jesus see, what was taking place is Jesus is continuing into the Gentile territory. And we're going to see in this, this process, we, we can miss it if we just read over it. But what Jesus is continuing to do, he's, he's opening up the doors now even more for the Gentiles to be able to respond to the gospel, to be able to respond to this Jesus but he goes again into this new area, this area of the decapolis, this Gentile territory, and again immediately encounters physical brokenness and physical barriers. This man that he encounters on this day is a man that knew the brokenness that he was living in. Every single day he was constantly reminded that reminded that he could not hear and that he could not speak. Life for him had more barriers or had more hurdles than most people. And on this day, his friends hear that Jesus is in town. This same Jesus that maybe it was the the same friends that heard of Jesus that had come to the capitalists a few chapters earlier when the demon-possessed man came from the tombs and ran down to Jesus and Jesus healed him and cast out the demons. Maybe they'd heard of this Jesus. And so they bring their friend to Jesus on this day. And they beg Jesus to heal him. And Jesus responds by doing something amazing. I love how Jesus responds to this because it, it shows even more so the tender side of Jesus and the compassionate side of Jesus. It shows that there's no, too, there's no distance too great that Jesus can't come and there's no darkness or no dirtiness enough for Jesus to not be able to overcome. And I don't even know if that's proper English, but, but you can just see the great movement of God, of, of Jesus towards those that are in need. Look, it says here, as he meets this man, what does he do? He doesn't keep himself at a distance. Instead, in verses 33 through 36, he responds by bringing this man, this dirty man, close. This man, because he had some, uh, he could not hear. It was, they believed it sometimes that it was a result of a curse that he or his fathers or someone else had sinned in the past. And now this man is dirty. He's a sinful person. And so we must distance ourselves from those that are diseased and those that are deaf. But Jesus comes close. Jesus comes close to this man. And then what does he do? He takes him away from the crowd. So it's just this man and Jesus. And look at what he does. He does. Jesus does something that's amazing. Jesus draws this man close and he takes his fingers, things that were completely unheard of. He takes his fingers and places them in the ears of this deaf man. Now that in that day would have been the most disgusting thing he could possibly do. But in Jesus' mind, he's about to give this guy the most holy wet willy he possibly ever could do. He draws this man close in his brokenness, in his need. sticks his fingers in his ear. And then he spits and places it on his tongue. Like that broke all of the, all of the laws that the religious leaders of Jesus' day had put up. And Jesus says, I'm willing to indignify myself, to put my, bring myself low so that you may know me. I'm willing to come a great distance. I'm not just a God that's up here that says you can't know me, but I'm a God that's willing to come close to you and in the midst of your most deepest, darkest brokenness, I'm gonna come close to you and I'm gonna feel your pain and then I'm gonna fix it. Because look what it says there. It says he drew him close and it says it looked up to heaven and he sighed. Now this sigh that he gives is not just an inward groaning that says, "I, I understand your pain. It's the sigh of groaning that he actually feels the pain with this man. He so accustoms himself or adjoins himself to the, the pain of this man that when he's able to call out, be opened, what happens? The curse is lifted, the brokenness is healed, and a miracle comes about. See, as Mark writes this, we also see the Gentile readers of this later on would rejoice because in this fact they knew what was taking place was that the good news of Jesus was also for them. Because look at how they responded in verse 37 once Jesus did this. They were astonished beyond measure. He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. He has done all things well. Well, that is our Jesus. Our Jesus takes all of the results of the curse, all the brokenness of our world, all of the sin, all of that, and he can make it well. Like he doesn't just scotch tape it and be like, okay, it's okay, or duct tape it and fix it. He takes the brokenness of our world and he heals it. It's as though it never happened. That is the most astonishingness of Jesus. This is this remarkable Jesus. The beauty is this remarkable Jesus is not just for the Jews, but he's for all people. He's for you and he's for me. There's no barrier that can't be overcome. I want to leave us this morning with just three, three thoughts of conclusions. So, so we read this, we read this, so what, what does it mean to our lives? How, how do we take this and apply it? I give us three things. The first is this. We must come to understand that our greatest brokenness in the world. Now, we understand a lot of brokenness. We go through losing of job, losing of life. We go through sickness. Those are, those are, are great, horrendous, broken times. But the greatest brokenness of your life and of my life is a brokenness with the relationship with God. You see, the God of the universe desires to have a relationship with us, to know us. But there's brokenness there because we have rejected him. We have rejected the God of the universe, saying, God, we do not want what you want for us. We want to choose our own path. We want to go our own way. We want to reject the plan that you have laid out. And so there's this brokenness between us. But the greatest barrier that we have, so great brokenness, but the greatest barrier is our sin. Because of our rejection, there's been this immeasurable gulf that there's no way we can overcome in ourselves. You can't do more good than bad. So if you do more good than you do bad in your life, that doesn't overcome the gulf. That doesn't make you right before God. In our sin, we are dead and we are in need of a savior. We are just as though that woman as she looked at her daughter and said, I am helpless to save my daughter. We must come to the place where we understand we are helpless to save ourselves, that we need someone else to intercede. And Jesus is that one. Jesus is that one who has come to intercede for us just in the same way as he did for that woman on that day. He can do for us because Jesus has come, he's lived the perfect life, and he died the death that we deserve. See, when Jesus went to the cross, what took place was a beautiful transaction. All of the sin of the world, all of your sin and my sin, was placed on Jesus. And at the same time, the sin was placed on him. The wrath of God, the wrath that was due us for our sin and our rejection, was also placed on Christ. And he endured it. He endured all of that, and then he died. And God looked on Jesus, and He says, "That sacrifice is sufficient." And he raised him from the dead and gave hope to us who believe in Jesus, what he's done, that our sins can be forgiven. And how do we respond? We respond just as we see today. Knowing that, knowing what Jesus has done, what we do is we pursue Jesus. We run after Jesus and we place our faith in him. We say, Jesus, please forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my rebellion. And what does he do? He forgives us and he cures that broken relationship with God. That's the first thing. The second thing is we need to remember when life happens to us, as we walk through life, that we need to respond when brokenness hits a square in the face, when we lose our job, when people die, when things get broken, things hurt. How should we respond? We respond in the same way we see played out in this passage. We respond first by pursuing Jesus. When life hurts, you run to Jesus. You run to him. You spend time with him in his word. You pray. You present your pleas before him. You share with him how messed up and broken the world is that you you feel. And you share it with him. And then by faith, you place your problems in his hand. And you trust him that he's going to fix it. Not in the way you want it fixed, but in the way he wants to fix it. And you release it and you let go. And what does he do? Over time, he fixes it. And he fixes us. He gives us peace to endure challenges. The third way to respond, or the third way to think about this is, is on more of a corporate level. See, I, I'm, I'm guilty of this too, and, and I think if we're honest with ourselves, we, we have a tendency to move this way too. You see, Jesus gives us a great example that we should follow. Jesus continually goes to where he knows people are hurting. Jesus continually moves to broken places. He runs to broken places where people are broken. And then he proclaims himself. Now, I think our natural tendency when we we engage or we see brokenness, we naturally want to run away from it, right? Right? Do we, when, when things hurt, when things are ugly or things are hard, we want to we move it away from us because it's, it's, it's just icky and it's, it's challenging. But what we need to do is instead of running away from brokenness, we need to run to brokenness and be who Jesus was. You see, one of the great barriers that, that, that can be a great barrier in our world today and our culture today is even the barrier of a church building. Like there are some people right now within a stone's throw or a five minute drive of this building. There are people right now that have perceptions about what takes place in here, what the people inside of here look like. And guess what? They are never, ever, 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 never, ever, ever going to come inside of this building. And if our hope is that if we just show up on Sunday morning, that somehow they're just gonna come here and that's when they're gonna meet Jesus. Jesus if that's our plan, then we messed up. That's not Jesus' plan. Jesus' plan wasn't, I'm just going to stay in the boat and they're just going to come to me. No, Jesus went to the dark places and then they showed up. And that's one of the things we we hope to position ourselves as a church. That's why we're moving towards community groups and moving towards life groups is because we know that there are people outside of there, people that we interact with every single day. We have family members. We have coworkers. We have neighbors that live right around us that don't know the Lord and are encountering brokenness. And God has strategically placed you and me where he's placed us so that we can engage darkness and brokenness. So we need to move to the position of following the example of Christ because you have inside of you the message that cures all brokenness. You have the gospel. In just a moment, we're gonna have an opportunity to just reflect, have a time of reflection through song. And during this time, I I want you to, to look inward, to look at your heart, Ask God, God, show me what is it that you want me to do because of what you said. You know, one of James gives us, the book of James gives us a a great warning. He says, you're not supposed to be just hearers of the word, but you're supposed to be doers of the word. And so how crazy would it be for us just to spend this amount of time for you to waste your day, to to come here for, for 30 minutes or 35 minutes or so and hear God speak, and then for you not to do anything about it. It would be an absolute waste. So what is it that God wants you to do this morning because of his word? How does he want you to respond? Maybe you need to respond and you've come to the place this morning where you realize that you're lost and you realize that really right now you wanna let go of everything and trust Jesus as your Lord and your savior. If that's you, call out to him in these, these moments of quietness or come grab me by the hand and say, I wanna know more about Jesus or grab someone else and say, tell me about Jesus, tell me more so I can, I can know Jesus. Or maybe you're here and you're walking through a difficult time in your life. And you've been trying to fix it on your own. And maybe today God has reminded you that you just need to let go of it. Maybe that's your response. Or maybe you're here today and you need to confess the fact that your life and you've patterned your life around trying to distance yourself from brokenness. You've done everything you possibly can to keep your kids safe, to keep yourself safe, so that you don't have to engage brokenness at all. And maybe today the the Lord has convicted you of that. And you need to come to the place of saying, God, God, I let go of it. It's not my life. It's not my mission. Whatever it is, just allow the Lord to speak to you in the next few moments. Let's pray, Father, thank you for your word and for your love. Father, I thank you that you are the cure for all brokenness. I thank you, God, that there was no barrier too great for you to overcome so that you could be close to us and that you promise that you are close to us when we are brokenhearted. And so, Father, today I pray that those of us that are brokenhearted, we would come to you with our brokenness. Father, I I just pray in these next few moments that you continue to allow your spirit to work inside of us, continue to encourage us, continue to challenge us, and help us to respond however we need to. Uh, For you are good. And I thank you uh, that you saved me, and I thank you that you always offer an opportunity for newness and wholeness. In Jesus' name we pray.